Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Weird things can happen in the skies over Alton, Illinois. For two weeks in October 1889, a supernatural shower of rocks fell on the home of Gottlieb Kaiser and his family, who lived at 302 Cherry Street. No one knew where the rocks were coming from. The family at first assumed it was some sort of prank, but who could throw so many rocks and why? Believe it or not, rocks had been known to fall from the sky before, just not in Alton. In 1857, an Illinois man claimed that a dark cloud dropped cinders all around him, which caught the ground on fire. In 1938, a car belonging to Edward McCain of Benell, Illinois, was badly damaged when a meteorite crashed through the roof of his garage and smashed into the vehicle. An Alabama woman named Ann Hodges became the first person ever struck by a meteorite in 1954. She was taking an afternoon nap on the couch and was awakened when the space rock broke through the roof of her home, punched through the ceiling, and struck her on the hip. But those were all meteorites, that kind of rocks that are supposed to fall from the sky. What about actual rocks, the kind you find on Earth, often right by the side of the road? How do they fall from the sky? Or really, how do they get into the sky to start with? In March 1922, regular old rocks started falling from the sky over the small town of Chico, California. J.W. Charge, who owned a large grain warehouse alongside the Southern Pacific Railroad, first assumed that someone was throwing rocks onto the roof of his building and complained to the town marshal, J.A. Peck. Thinking it was local youngsters playing pranks, no one paid much attention to the incident until more rocks started falling. A lot more rocks. On March 22nd, stones ranging in size from peas to baseballs came raining down on the warehouse and some nearby homes. The rocks were seemingly coming out of nowhere. It was a sunny, cloudless day, and yet they kept falling. They broke windows, split boards, and splintered roof shingles for the next several days. People who stood in the open, perhaps trying to determine the source of the mysterious projectiles, were often struck. The fall of stones continued throughout most of the rest of the month, attracting a lot of publicity and a lot of curiosity seekers. The origin of the rocks, though, was never solved. And no one had any better luck solving the mystery in Alton. The rocks fell on the house each night, rattling the roof, breaking some windows, and busting through the porch roof. As news spread around town, people flocked to the scene to watch and offer opinions on the source of the falling rocks, but no one had any real answers. On the night of October 10th, a crowd of several hundred people surrounded the house at the corner of 3rd and Cherry Streets, hoping to catch a glimpse of the strange, unearthly happenings, and they were not disappointed. As the rain of rocks fell again, an effort was made to discover, if possible, from what direction the rocks were falling. Well, they all agreed on the direction, straight down from the sky. Eventually, the rocks stopped falling. No one could ever figure out how or why it happened, or why the rocks only fell on the Kaiser house. When other events like this have happened, investigators often believe that moving objects can point to a presence in the house, like a restless spirit or an actual person. It was unknowingly causing physical events to occur by the power of the mind. Such incidents have usually been linked to adolescent children who have no control over what happens. 
Well, could this be what happened in Alton in 1889? Maybe. After a check of old city records, it turns out the Kaisers had a daughter who was 13 years old when the rocks started falling on the house. Was she the reason? Again, maybe. I know you're probably thinking it seems hard to believe, but is it really any harder to believe than that it was a ghost who liked throwing rocks? Something happened on Cherry Street in Alton in 1889, but what it actually was will remain just another mystery from Alton's haunted past. Welcome to a special On the Side podcast from American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to bringing you the history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of our hometown, Alton, Illinois. Yes, you heard that correctly. This is episode one of an offshoot of the regular podcast, going back to our very beginning with updates and a lot of new stories from season one of the show, which delved into the mystery and history of Alton. With all the bad sound from that season, plus all the research I did with the new edition of Haunted Alton that came out last year, Cody and I wanted to revisit some old stories, offer some updates, and give you some new tales from one of the most haunted small towns in America. So buckle up for episode one and keep watching the skies. I don't write much about UFOs. Frankly, flying saucers and little green or gray men have no interest to me outside of old episodes of the X-Files. But weird things have been in the sky over Alton and elsewhere in our corner of the state, dating all the way back to 1897. That spring, there were reports of some kind of flying object appearing in the sky, landing at local farms and even having conversations with people on the ground. The mysterious aircraft first showed up in Chicago, where it stayed for three days. More than 500 people allegedly witnessed the ship and described it as being two cigar-shaped bodies connected by girders with sails and a propeller. After departing from Chicago, the airship began a tour across Illinois. It was spotted in dozens of cities, and there seemed to be no rhyme or reason to its route other than that it seemed to be going southwest. It buzzed over Dixon, Sterling, Rock Island, Peoria, Ottawa, Lincoln, Taylorville, Quincy, Hillsboro, Jerseyville, Alton, and Edwardsville. Even if we dismiss a lot of the reports as hysteria generated by newspaper stories, there are still a lot of credible sounding accounts that match those in other parts of the state. Some of the reports are even stranger than the sightings of the airship itself. One occurred two miles outside of Springfield. Two farmhands swore the ship landed in a field where they were working. Two men and a woman climbed out of the aircraft and told the farmhands they were going to make a report about their journey to the government when Cuba is declared free. Yeah, I'm not really sure what that meant either, but this was the time of the Spanish-American War fought over the issue of Cuban independence, for whatever that's worth. Anyway, after this strange announcement, the airship occupants smiled, waved, got into their airship, and lifted back off into the sky. And here's another weird one. Two days later, someone saw the ship near Mount Vernon. That someone was the city's mayor at the time, Andy Hall. 
Looking through a telescope, he claimed to see one of the occupants of the airship floating in the sky around it. He had a device strapped to his back that allowed him to fly around and make repairs to the vessel. On the evening of April 10th, quote, all the police officers on duty, the firemen and hundreds of citizens, unquote, in Jacksonville were left in awe as the ship flew over the city. The following night in Sprayfield, an officer at the Sangamon County Jail watched for 30 minutes as a ship shining a light he thought looked like the lamp on the front of a locomotive shined down on the city. Three men on a farm near Neilwood spotted the ship on April 13th. That evening, it was seen two miles south of Girard. On April 14th, it was spotted by hundreds of people in Whitehall. They said it was moving very fast, guessing at about 150 miles an hour. Although, since no one at that time had ever seen anything moving at more than 150 miles per hour, I'm going to say this was a rough guess. Anyway, the last airship sighting in Illinois occurred on April 25th, but the encounters continued in other states for several weeks, becoming a national phenomenon. Now, this is a story that is pretty hard to explain. Was it a hoax or mass hysteria? Well, that seems unlikely. Based on the sheer number of reports and identical descriptions of something witnesses were unaware of had been seen by other people. I mean, did the aircraft have earthly origins? Probably. I mean, most people who saw it said it looked like a balloon or a dirigible, which was possible at the time, but this wasn't like any balloon anyone had seen before. It was fast, traveled all over the state, took off and landed whenever it wanted, and then there was the man with the jetpack or whatever it was, that flew around the ship. That seems to point to something that couldn't have been built by any mechanical means at the time, and yet, there it was. And then there's the crew. They seemed to be absolutely normal. They looked and spoke like people of 1897, even if they did have a real passion for Cuban independence, which makes the mystery even weirder. You have an airship that could not have been built in 1897, powered by mechanisms that had not yet been invented, seemingly normal crew members taking what seems to be an everyday journey, flying aboard a flying machine that simply couldn't exist. And yet it did. Weird, right? Oh, but it all gets weirder. On January 5th, 2000, something very weird visited the skies over the region, but what that was remains a mystery. It was spotted first in Highland, a part-time truck driver and full-time miniature golf course owner spotted a very bright light in the sky that he soon realized was part of a very large object. It was a giant rectangle about the size of a football field moving silently above him. He said it was very tall and had rows of windows that emitted the bright light. There were dimmer red lights on the bottom and the whole thing was black or dark gray. As it passed over him, he realized it was moving much slower than any conventional aircraft. He went directly to the police station and reported the sighting. The dispatcher was skeptical, but contacted other nearby departments only to learn they were seeing the object too. It was spotted near Lebanon, Shiloh, Dupo, and Milstad. Police officers chased it all over the area and their radio calls provided a map of where the ship was seen, moving within one mile of Scott Air Force Base. The St. Clair County Sheriff's Office later released the transcripts of those calls, and it's clear they were not a practical joke or officers mistaking something else in the sky for a UFO. Well, what was it, though? Well, no one knows. Some have suggested it was a secret test plane, but nothing like that is ever tested at Scott Air Force Base. What we do know for sure is that those officers and a lot of other people saw something in the sky that night. And they weren't alone. 
In October 2017, some friends were talking on the back deck of a building on Langdon Street in Alton when they spotted a very bright orange light in the sky. It was hovering above the Clark Bridge, not moving, although it would occasionally emit bright flashes of red and blue lights. According to the Mutual UFO Network of Illinois, two other reports came in from the area within days of the sighting. One's from Hamill, where the bright orange light was seen east of town. The other report came from Fenton, Missouri, but described a different object than the one in Illinois. This witness saw a long cylinder-shaped craft that let off a green light. He heard no noise coming from it. It was moving silently across the sky, but when it passed over him, his phone shut off and then restarted on its own. The Mutual UFO Network of Illinois wasn't surprised by any of the reports and say that the Riverbend region is a hot spot for UFO sightings. We were visited again in 2019 when a witness in Pontoon Beach spotted three glowing yellow and orange dots moving across the sky in formation on May 17th. On June 2nd, a bright white light appeared over Milstad. On June 19th, an unexplained light was spotted hovering over East Alton. On July 8th, two bright lights flashed vertically across the sky over Edwardsville and vanished. In March 2020, at least 30 illuminated objects were spotted flying over Alton. They made no noise as they dipped and climbed, flying past one another at terrific speeds. And the list goes on. There have been weird things reported in the skies over Alton for centuries. And not just flying saucers and dirigibles piloted by Cuban revolutionaries and little green men. If you're from Alton, you know this story. Centuries ago, Native Americans who lived in the region were being carried away and eaten by a giant bird called the Piazaw, translated from the Illinois language as the bird that devours men. But a clever chief was able to slay the creature and its likeness was painted on a river bluff as a tribute to its ferocity. Yep, that's the story we all know and love, but to say that it has some problems would be an understatement. The story of the Piazza bird is nothing like what we've been told over the years. And in fact, its origin is a mystery that's more complicated than we can even imagine. But the story of the Piazza has to begin with Marquette and Joliet, the French explorers who traveled down the Illinois and Mississippi rivers for the glory of France in 1673. Louis Joliet was a young Canadian, originally from France, an explorer and a mapmaker. At the same time, Jacques Marquette was a Jesuit priest who longed to bring religion to the indigenous people of the New World. These two men, along with some crew members and Native Americans, journeyed from where the Illinois River empties into the Mississippi down to the Gulf of Mexico. When they got there, they realized the Mississippi had never turned right toward the Pacific Ocean. But it was the first part of their journey on the Mississippi that plays a role in this story. They rounded a curve on the river and got their first glimpse of where the town of Alton would someday be. On the flat face of a high bluff were two hideous monsters, or most likely two depictions of the same creature, that had been painted in red, black, and green pigment. 
Marquette described the monsters in his journal as hideous monsters that were as large as a calf, with heads and horns like a goat, their eyes are red, beards like a tiger's, and face like a man's. Their tails are so long that they pass over their bodies and between their legs under their bodies, ending like a fishtail. Marquette also sketched two drawings of the creatures, but they were later lost. All the modern renditions of the monster were later created from the memories of settlers in the area who remembered the original paintings. Well, Marquette had no idea what the monster was, but he was unnerved by it. Native Americans he encountered told him that strange creatures awaited him downriver. His later journal entries about the sighting of buffalo would be just as harrowing, but at least the Native Americans in his employ knew what they were. None of the Illinois River area men recognized the strange beasts on the bluff. According to the Explorer's Journal, the men had scarcely recovered from the terrifying sight of the monsters when they were plunged into actual danger. A torrent of yellow and muddy water gushed into the quiet stillness of the Mississippi River, threatening to overturn the expedition's canoes. They turned to the eastern shore to avoid the strong current, desperately hoping to avoid the huge masses of driftwood and uprooted trees that coursed toward them. This was the mouth of the Missouri River, and Marquette wrote that he never saw anything more terrific. The expedition escaped this new danger and pressed on, leaving the mystery of the paintings behind for others to ponder in the years to come. Father Louis Hennepin, another early frontier explorer, published a book in 1698 called A New Discovery of a Vast Country in America. He also wrote about seeing the paintings of the monsters on the bluff, which incidentally were first carved into the stone and then painted over. In 1820, Captain Gideon Spencer came up the Mississippi and saw the bluff paintings. When he asked about them, he was told they had been a river landmark for many years and that Native Americans who passed by would fire arrows and rifles at the creature as a test of bravery or would blow tobacco smoke in the direction of the monsters so they could pass by safely. Well, the paintings remained on the bluffs until about 1845. By then, the Illinois State Penitentiary had been built above it, and thanks to the quarrying of limestone by the inmates, the paintings were destroyed. Before that happened, though, the monster had already been turned into a legend by John Russell, a Baptist minister, a professor of Greek and Latin at Shirtliff College in Upper Alton, and the editor of a local newspaper called The Family Magazine. Russell was fascinated by the paintings of the monsters and in 1836 decided to create a story to explain what they were and why they were there. It was meant to be a bit of harmless fun, but the story would soon appear all over the country as the truth, and it's been confusing people in the Alton area ever since. Well, first, Russell needed a name for the monster, so he chose the name Piazal. He borrowed it from Piazaw Creek, which ran down through the center of Alton. Years later, it was filled in, drainage pipes were added, and it was paved over to make Piazaw Street. Yes, the name came first, long before it was used as the name of the local mascot. According to Russell's story, Piazaw is translated to the bird that devours men. Well, that's great for the story, and most people didn't really care at the time, but it's completely untrue. It's better translated to mean water panther, a mythological creature from Native American lore with the body of a panther, four legs, a human head, a long tail, and horns. Completely different monster altogether. Well, in his story, Russell claimed that the creature depicted in the painting was a giant bird that lived in the bluffs. 
It began attacking and eating people in nearby villages after the corpses left over from a battle gave it a taste for human flesh. Well, a local chief named Owatoga managed to slay the beast after receiving a vision from the Great Spirit. Owatoga ordered his bravest warriors to hide near the cave entrance that the Piazaw had turned into its lair, while he acted as bait to lure it into their trap. When the monster flew down to attack the chief, his warriors killed it with a volley of poisoned arrows. The bird was killed, fell into the river, and was never seen again. Russell claimed that the tribe painted the mural to celebrate this heroic event. Russell's version of the Paisa story appeared not only in his own paper, but in other places as well. Each time it appeared, it was presented as history, not fiction. To add to the confusion, Russell published a different version of the Piazza legend on October 28, 1847 in the Illinois Journal of Springfield. In this version, the Piazza was a giant condor slain single-handedly by a courageous Native American. But then he returned to his original version of the story in the July 14, 1848 issue of Evangelical Magazine and Gospel Advocate. In 1887, another professor at Shirtliff, who was also a state geologist and archaeologist named William McAdams, contacted Russell and tried to set the record straight when he was writing his book, Records of Ancient Races in the Mississippi Valley. Russell admitted to him that the Piazza story was, quote, somewhat illustrated. In other words, he made it up, as Professor McAdams likely realized. But was all of it made up, or merely the Native American origin of the story? Another thing that Russell did, which he's still criticized for, is present a drawing of the Piazza with wings. Purists will insist the monsters on the bluff never had wings because Father Marquette never mentioned them in his description. They maintain this is further proof that Russell was a liar. He concocted a legend, named it after a creek, and then put wings on it, just so it could be a flying monster for his story. But what if that part is wrong? I mean, it seems a bit hard to believe that Russell went so far as to take a local monster that people recognize, because remember, it was still painted on the bluff at the time, and suddenly give it wings that it didn't have. What if it did have wings, but they weren't visible all the time? According to the former mayor of Whitehall, Illinois, there had been a similar painting of the Piazza that could be seen on some cliffs near Bluffdale. Whenever the weather was dry, the creature's wings could not be seen. After it rained, though, the color stood out distinctly, apparently affected by the moisture. It seems possible that Father Marquette, who only saw the paintings one time, could have seen them on a day when the weather was dry. Who knows? Anyway, three years after Russell's account in 1839, Henry Lewis published a book called The Valley of the Mississippi Illustrated. This book includes a painting of the Piazza with wings. Lewis, who traveled the Mississippi for his book, came to Alton, sketched the creature he saw in the bluff, and gave it wings. This suggests it really did have wings all along, whether Father Marquette mentioned them or not. But that's not the end of the criticisms of Russell's story. There's still the part about that pesky cave. This is probably better explained in Russell's own words, and I should probably read this in the hysterical tone that it was written in, but I'll try to refrain. Near the close of March of the present year, 1836, I was induced to visit the bluffs below the mouth of the Illinois River above that of the Piazza. My curiosity was principally directed to the examination of a cave, connected with the above tradition as one of those to which the bird had carried his human victims. 
Preceded by an intelligent guide who carried a spade, I set out on my excursion. The cave was extremely difficult to access, and at one point in our progress, I stood at an elevation of 150 feet on the perpendicular face of the bluff, with barely enough room to sustain one foot. The unbroken wall towered above me, while below me was the river. After a long and perilous climb, we reached the cave, which was about 50 feet above the surface of the river. The roof of the cavern was vaulted, and the top was hardly less than 20 feet high. The shape of the cavern was irregular, but so far as I could judge, the bottom would average 20 by 30 feet. The floor of the cavern, throughout its whole extent, was one mass of human bones. Skulls and other bones were mingled in the utmost confusion. To what depth they extended, I was unable to decide, but we dug to a depth of three or four feet in every part of the cavern, and still we found only bones. The remains of thousands must have been deposited here. How and by whom and for what purpose, it is impossible to conjecture. So according to John Russell, he had been taken to the lair of the Piazaw, the cave where it devoured its human victims. It seems difficult to believe, especially when we consider that Russell had created a fictional origin for the local beast, but could that part of the story be true? I mean, could the painting, not linked at all to Russell's made-up legend, depict a real creature? I know, you have to think that's ridiculous, but others also claim to have seen the cave. In 1873, Martin Beam authored an article about the Piazaw for the Illinois State Journal. He borrowed Russell's origin story, but claimed that he also visited the cave. In 1875, author A.D. Jones wrote about the cave, and not long after that, Edmund Flagg, on a tour of the Western country, claimed that he also saw the Bonefield Cave and corroborated Russell's story. I mean, I know, it's hard to believe, but what if? What if there really was a cave like the one that Russell's and others described? If so, no one has found it, even though many have looked. Of course, this might not be as strange as it seems. Some places in the area are pretty remote, overgrown, lost among the forests and bluffs, and forgotten. Homes, buildings, churches, and cemeteries have vanished from maps and memories, so, I mean, why not a cave? The limestone bluffs along the Mississippi River and underneath the town of Alton are filled with caves. I doubt that anyone has seen them all, so who knows? Maybe the Bone Cave is still out there somewhere. But for the cave to exist, it would have to mean that the monster paintings were based on a real creature and weren't just created by Native Americans to symbolize some creature from their mythology. And of course, it's impossible that birds of such size can exist, isn't it? Well, hold on a moment. On April 4th, 1948, a former Army colonel named Walter F. Sigmund revealed he had seen a gigantic bird in the sky above Alton. He'd been talking with a local farmer and Colonel Ralph Jackson, the head of the Western Military Academy, when he spotted the bird. I thought there was something wrong with my eyesight, he said, but it was definitely a bird and not a glider or a jet plane. It appeared to be flying northeast. From the movements of the object and its size, I figured it'd be a bird of tremendous size. A few days later, a farmer named Robert Price saw the same flying creature. He called it a monster bird, bigger than an airplane. On April 10th, Mr. and Mrs. Clyde Smith and a friend, Les Bacon, spotted the huge bird. They said they thought it was an airplane until it started to flap its wings. On April 24th, E.M. Coleman and his son James saw the bird in the sky above Alton. Coleman later recalled, It was an enormous, incredible thing with a body that looked like a naval torpedo. It was flying at about 500 feet and cast a shadow the same size as a Piper Cub at that height. 
Then on May 5th, the bird was sighted for the last time in Alton. A man named Arthur Davidson called the police that evening to report the bird flying above the city. Apparently, it was heading west. Later that same night, Mrs. William Stallings of St. Louis informed the authorities that she had also seen it. It was bright and about as big as a house, she said. More sightings followed in St. Louis, and then just as mysteriously as it first appeared over Alton, the bird was gone. The 1948 sightings created a great deal of public excitement in Alton and St. Louis. The story spread and appeared in the newspapers, and while it seemed fantastic that such a large bird could exist, no one questioned the reality of the sightings, especially those made by two military men and later by two police officers in St. Louis. So the bird had been big, but surely not Piazaw bird big, right? I mean, no birds are large enough to carry away a living person so it could devour them. I mean, it's impossible for birds that large to exist, right? Right? Well, now that you mention it, in 1908, Peter Johnson, a farmer in St. Charles, Illinois, fought off what he called a monster eagle when it attempted to carry off his three-year-old son. The bird had been circling the farm for nearly an hour before it swooped down, grabbed the toddler, and carried him off. It was only through the quick thinking of the boy's father, along with help from a hired hand, some rocks, and a pitchfork, that the bird let him go. Little boy wasn't hurt, but Johnson was. He received numerous cuts and scratches during the battle with what he estimated was a bird with at least a 12-foot wingspan. And then there's the case of Marlon Lowe, a Londell, Illinois boy who was carried off by a giant bird in 1977. He and a friend were playing in his family's backyard when two birds appeared in the sky and one of them attacked Marlin. It grabbed him with its claws, picked him up, and carried him almost 30 yards before the boy fought hard enough to get free. Multiple witnesses to the birds and the attack reported them to the authorities. For the next several months, those birds were reported all over downstate Illinois before disappearing without a trace that fall. So is the story of the Piazza bird just a legend? Another tall tale and a myth that entertains children but has no links to reality? Could there be more to this legend than meets the eye? Well, you'll have to decide that for yourself, but I'd advise keeping an eye on the skies, just in case. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. 
obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Okay, thanks for returning with us to Alton, Illinois, for a special series of podcasts from American Hauntings. Back in season one of the show, we collected some of the most famous hauntings from Alton's history, and now we're back with updates and news stories based on Troy Taylor's new edition of his book, Haunted Alton. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Oh, yeah, I didn't realize that I had put um, my full name in the opening thing. Troy Taylor's new edition of the book, like, you know, they don't know who I am. But yeah. anyway, whatever. I, 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 well, I won't I forget. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, Troy, we have so many things going on. But, but since this is like yeah. a, a different kind of series, we're not going to dive into all the you – know, we're not going to do the kind of same exact format. Yeah, yeah. We won't have, you know, readers' letters and, I mean, you know, and, and ghost writers and all that kind of stuff. So, right. uh, yeah, we're streamlining this a little bit. You know, yes. So people, kind of maybe people will be happier with this format or they'll be, I, I, I don't know, but, but we'll see. But um, for this it's first, too bad because we're not changing the other one. So, right. <laughs> um, but for this first episode, at least uh, I wanted to give some background on Alton and kind of why we started the podcast initially in case some people listen to our many pleas to not listen to the first season. <laughs> yeah, that might be an issue. Yeah, we, we did just think of that, that maybe because we kept telling people, listen, don't listen to the first season. It's horrible, sounds terrible. And if you haven't, you might have no idea what we're talking about now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Because so, this is, I mean, well, I guess Velisca's smaller, but this is the smallest kind of like town um, yeah. that we've probably done. But uh, so for people who aren't familiar, and I won't drag this out, but I, I wanted to do something where I could learn and uh, about my hometown, Alton, Illinois, right across the river from St. Louis. Uh, it's got a lot of history. It was um, a you know, riverboat town and um, civil war. Just it has a lot of traumatic history, a lot of a lot of history in general. So I hadn't really met Troy and uh, wrote him a cold email and rewrote it and rewrote it and built a little mock website, reached out to him and see if he wanted to do a podcast. And uh, we went I out. said no. Yeah, he said no. Initially. <laughs> um, but we went down. I do not have time for that. Yes. And I was like, I now think, we're doing three. <laughs> I know. I, I even suggested when I reached out, I remember thinking like, I, I was like, I'll write your monologues if you want, which is such a dumb, th I just want to save you time. But um, 
Yeah, so we went to uh, we went out to eat in Alton. We met and talked it out, and then decided, okay, let's we got some things we can do from Troy's book, Haunted Alton. And we, what I guess the probably like I guess the second time we actually actually really met, we were recording episodes. Yeah, yeah, we 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 talked, we emailed a lot, and we talked, and we just got together and recorded our first episode, yeah. which was just sort of an introduction to Alton. I honestly have no idea. I don't even know if I have a copy of the first one. Because I don't think we were using the like the 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 Dropbox Drive thing then. Oh no, we might have been. I don't know, but I I don't even remember what the first episode was about. All I know <laughs> was that it was sort of an intro to Alton, and um, yes. we uh, you know we kind of uh, got things rolling, and we did some of the stories, and they were very short episodes, mm-hmm. and um, the sound was great for like the first couple, because we did them at our friend Charlie's studio at the time. And then we decided, oh, we can do this on our own. And we that were was really a bad idea. Um, yeah. Yeah, most <laughs> so we had a lot of really progress. bad sound in that first season. So Yeah, so yeah, most podcasts start out not sounding great and get progressively better. And we <laughs> decided to take a different approach. Um, but uh, yeah. worse before we got better. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I grew up in Alton, um, Illinois for I mean, first 18 years of my life. Uh, I I love that city. I know. I, I it draw. It sucks people in, and it either kind of traps you or it just draws you. Um, but it's yeah, something about yeah, it. I've that's gotten so away once, and then but never really left. I mean, I yeah. I, I lived there, moved away, um, but never really quit doing stuff there, and then moved back mm-hmm. uh, part time anyway. And yeah, now I just I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, I just I it's something something that attracts people like us i think disreputable mm-hmm. people because <laughs> those are the people that you know that everything about alton you know it's like i tell people a story about you know the the you know the the first guy selling off building plots to people but didn't own the property and right. i, I so, always tell them that's like the most alton thing possible yeah except there wasn't even an alton yet mm-hmm. so um yeah it's it is a cool town it's so cool and there are so many things that you know, we have will never scratch the surface of of some of the really cool history there, but we know we're doing our best. Yeah. What was it, Rufus Easton? Was that the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was the original guy. Um, you know. and yeah, those of you familiar with Alton, he uh, named some of the longest streets that go down to the river after his children. So there's uh, what Albie, and, Henry, uh, George, Henry. Langdon. Yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, Broadway. Just kidding. <laughs> but. Uh, that was the one he didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually thought Troy, we hadn't, I hadn't brought this up before, but, um, I should have said first, second, third, <laughs> fourth. <laughs> was not a very original man. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did think about if I ever wanted to do a book, um, I would try to do something about the old like houses and architecture that aren't talked about in mm-hmm. like your books and things like that. And mm-hmm. to help you the history, because maybe it's not haunted, but I drive by houses all the time and I'm like, I want to know where oh, this know. came How from. Cool. Who did it? I know. Yeah, I know it. And yeah. you know, sometimes it's harder to find than you think. Um, but I have sure. been through when I started working on the last edition of the book, man, I was going through like days and day, years and years and years in newspapers. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something that we didn't have. I mean, when I first started writing about Alton, I didn't have access to all those newspapers. I mean, I could have gone down to the library and looked at microfish, but I had no idea what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Now it's it makes it a lot easier. And um yeah, that's I keep running across new things that I'm always thinking, damn it, wish that was in the book, you know, so, right. Uh, but hey, some of it will end up here. So that's the good news. So, Absolutely. Uh, that I, won't even be in the book. 
I don't, and I don't know if I told you, um, Charlie Brock, as you mentioned earlier, yeah. did, did some music um, for the podcast. Uh, he So his original house where they lived was on Langdon, right by what used to be Garfield Park and is now like Darth or something weird, or I, I don't know. Darth? Um, I don't know. They call it something <laughs> okay. weird. Uh, right? Okay. It's like Langdon and like 4th Street or something okay. by St. Mary's. Gotcha. Uh, he and I, when we were younger, uh, their house had a... A, a kind of like a plaque on the door i think it said like horn house or something mm-hmm. um and he and i used to like hang out there all the time we were kids and we'd go up to his attic where it was like a billion degrees but somebody who lived there before left all these old newspapers oh that's cool and i don't remember anything about them but i wish i did yeah. i wish we had them or something yeah we should boxed them all up and took them home yeah but i was like eight and i was like hey, i know yeah what are you gonna do with that right yeah <laughs> uh but so we, we wanted to do this season because uh we thought well one we have better audio but also so you have done uh, a different uh, updated version yeah, of your haunted yeah, Alton a lot book. of stuff yeah yeah a lot of stuff with the book and i mean we've done a lot of new things um since that first season i mean that's been you know i, I we, we want to say six years ago but i and i guess it was because really so. our seasons are about a year i guess well yeah so it's been almost six years ago since we first did that season and Jeez. i've actually updated and done a lot of new things since then so um, you know, I'm not going to get into we we do all that in our regular podcast. So I, I'm not going to get into all the things we have coming up. If you're interested, go to AltonHauntings.com. We do have uh, the tours running. They run from um, our walking tours run from spring through October through Halloween. And then, you know, I've always got dinners and events and river road tours and spirits of Alton tours and all that stuff runs all year round. So um, we've always got something going on in Alton. Um, so check it out. You can go to altonhauntings.com. That'll take you everywhere you need to go as far as Alton is concerned. So let's 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 talk a little bit about this episode. We don't, yeah. we don't have to talk about everything because some of it we um, we talked about before, but yeah, uh, even that I think has a different spin on it. Sure. <laughs> before, and, so. and I think like I kind of we mentioned this before, but like the next nine episodes will probably just go kind of right straight into yeah, the topics and yeah. stuff but we had to give a little context but yeah i, I love the uh this so up in the air you <laughs> you connected these things that well <laughs> have a common thread yeah there were there was a way i wanted to get the you know the piazza bird story in but i thought you know i do have some other things that i have dug up and wouldn't it be fun if i gave them a theme mm-hmm. um and yes it's a weird theme but it's a theme nonetheless <laughs> so. yeah it still works um i i think that the first story is the one is my favorite is the most bizarre i know it's my favorite it and really I, is i wanted to get some uh i know it was you know it's old information and everything but i wanted to know if anywhere you got clarification like how many rocks are we talking no idea no okay, idea. Everything okay. I know about this story, I swear to God, is in this episode. Okay. It was a blurb in the paper. <laughs> it was a very small article, um, and I found it by accident. And I thought, okay, that's like out of Carrie. That is that mm-hmm. is, happens in Carrie, and that's a great story. And uh, I'm going to figure out some way to use it. <laughs> And so where it is. (laughs) The last time I was in Alton, I wanted to uh, go to Cherry Street and kind of drive around there. Yeah, Um, I I did. I don't think the house is there anymore. I I figured it was. I couldn't find anything that even resembled uh, what would have been there back in 1889. Yeah, I just wanted to go there and start tossing rocks out of my car. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, at somebody's house. Yeah, (laughs) No one would remember these stories. That's the beauty of so many of these. And there's going to be more throughout this season. Uh, I found found all these 
you know, ghost stories and weird stories about houses around Alton. Mm -hmm. And I thought, eh, screw it. It's public not information. I'll just put the address in there. And there are the houses, a lot of the houses are still there. Um, and I often wonder, you know, if they pick it up and they see that, if what they'll think. Right. But it, hey, it was, I mean, it was in the paper, man. So, um, but most of the stories are so old and so bizarre. Mm -hmm. There's some, there's some really bizarre stuff coming. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. Um, yeah. But I had never heard a story like that one. Um, of real rocks falling yeah well that's why i used a few examples of some other things that i knew about you know mm -hmm. when it had happened before just to kind of show that you know this weird stuff happens just not in alton normally. yeah <laughs> i mean that's one thing that's one thing that happens in alton that we you know it's not not normal i mean you know right. it's not a normal town but that's not something that's common you know rocks falling from the sky right so. yeah so if it's if it's like weird in alton then that means it's like probably really weird <laughs> yeah um, but something i like that you did bring up it said you know it could have been a poltergeist activity surrounding a 13 year old girl and um, i just want to touch on that because we haven't talked about that kind of stuff in such a oh, long yeah, time much, have we? yeah and, we have but just not in a while you're right yeah not, and not in a while and so the thought is kind of like uh they some okay so poltergeist the what is it a noisy ghost or whatever yeah it means noisy ghost in german and it's just a name that people have given to you know uh rambunctious spirits but mm -hmm. the thing is is that it's it's thought now again nobody's really an expert but sure. it's thought by people who are, are closer than experts than i'll ever be <laughs> that um a lot of that activity, things moving around and breaking and all kinds of stuff like that, a lot of that can be attributed to uh, a young person who lives in the house. It could be a boy or a girl. I've, I've collected a lot of those stories over the years. That's something to do with adolescence and something to do with that particular person and the discharge of energy around that person, um, you know, causes these things to happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, they all seem to be right around the same age, anywhere from like 10 to 16. I mean, there are lots of great stories. Um, there's, you know, uh, stories about fire houses catching on fire when this girl would be present or, you know, um, Hell, the, the, the rock throwing thing, just like I mentioned. I mean, that's, um, you know, that's right out of carry. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's what happens in the book. I don't think they use that in the movie, but it happened in the book, you know, and, um, it's just one of those things that, you know, seems to happen around people with, you know, maybe some kind of um, energy we really don't understand. Um, and and maybe that's the explanation for this. I don't know. They did have a daughter that age. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's always that possibility because honestly, I got nothing else right. for, <laughs> for rocks falling from the sky or wherever they were coming from. But no one seemed to be able to uh, figure that out. Yeah. And I think the first time we kind of talked about this. Uh, I guess correlation and things. I was a little confused, but then after a while, when I was, you know, we talked more and I was thinking about it, I was like, that was kind of the most chaotic time of my life as far as sure. hormones and everything I think else. It's everybody's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was it like, sense, right? It, I guess it does. But sometimes it's adults too, though. Um, there's oh, some okay. pretty famous cases where there have been uh, adults who are going through all kinds of, you know, divorces and all kinds of stuff where weird things start to happen. Hmm. Um, it, it, it does happen to other people. It just seems to be mostly um, young kids, you mm -hmm. know, that that adolescent age, all the hormones, like you said. Yeah, yeah. You know, seems yeah. to seems to be an issue. Jeez. OK, moving on then. Um, <laughs> 1887 weird aircraft shows up in Chicago. 
I, I love some of the details you put in here. Like the two farm hands said, like it landed. So like yeah. Cuba is free. I know. And- I know. I just, um, you know, but that's the kind of thing. I mean, it doesn't matter how many newspapers the story appeared in. And, you know, I mean, if you go, if you go by what was said at the time, mm-hmm. you go by these newspaper stories, this thing was everywhere. And it wasn't just wow. Illinois. I just covered the Illinois stuff. This yeah. thing traveled from coast to coast. And people kept picking this up and talking about it. And this was a, a kind of airship that should not have existed at the time. And mm-hmm. if we believe the stories, it did. But then somebody throws in something about, you know, them landing and declaring that they would report to the government when Cuba was free. And I'm thinking, OK, this was a joke. It had to be a practical joke. So I wonder if maybe there was something to some of the stories. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while, some smart ass reporter would decide to cook up his own version and would throw out a story that, you know, is silly like that one. Um, because, you know, a lot of times there would be uh, one of the things I've noticed, like trying to track all these stories is that some of them would occur on the same day, but like opposite ends of the state. Which made me think that maybe somebody was just having fun with some of them, you know, just kind of adding to the excitement, you know, I don't know. Um, but it's still a weird story. I mean, you have to admit it's very yeah. odd, you know. Absolutely. I could, and I'm curious about if, you know, things happening on the same day and, and all that. Um, I would have, I would assume it's uh, somebody doing some kind of like old school, like propaganda stuff or this or that. But yeah. what if it was just somebody that's like doing an elaborate prank for no reason yeah. aside yeah. from just doing a prank? Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, for all we know, it was some crazy inventor who'd read too much Jules Verne mm-hmm. and decided he wanted his own version of Captain Nemo's submarine, but in the sky and fucking built one. Who yeah. knows? You know, but then, but then again, you get that guy, you get the, the Cuba thing, and then you get the the guy who's the mayor of Mount Vernon yes. and says he saw a guy with a jetpack flying in the sky repairing it. Now, you know, I laugh and say jetpack, but in 1897, no one would have any idea what a jetpack Oh, that would was. blow so your mind. The fact that he, yeah, the fact that he even describes it, it makes you think, well, how did, he, how would he come up with that? I mean, unless this guy was like a science you know, fiction writer drunk or something you know <laughs> and it just uh, you know or had eaten some mushrooms out of his backyard you know where would he even come up with something like that i don't know i, I just i i don't know i really don't but it's, and um, i also had to mention the people in whitehall which is you know just north of alton who oh said yes that, yeah shit i could just see it a bunch of mm. farmers stand out there in overalls yeah it's going 150 miles an hour now how would they know yeah nothing went 150 miles an hour in 1897 but you know whatever <laughs> yeah and i mean you'd see the same people today after a tornado on the news or something you know and, yeah um i i do like the idea though that it was some uh bizarre inventor ahead of his time too. just like fuck it around yeah. i know i wish i i mean you know I, there's no way we'll ever know but I'd like to think that's what it was, mm-hmm. you know, some guy and his buddies and they decide to get this thing going and they just start flying all over the country and it, you know, just to freak people out or just yeah. to have an adventure. I don't know, yes. but I don't know if it was real. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't real. I mean, this is the most elaborate newspaper hoax of all time, you know? So yes. I don't know. People seem to be seeing something, but what it was, I don't know. You yeah. know, like I said, at the beginning of that section, I don't, 
I don't write much about UFOs and stuff. It's really too mm-hmm. much for me. But I couldn't, I couldn't not put in some of the UFO sightings around Alton too, because you know we're sticking with the theme. Of course, yeah, <laughs> up and, in and the sky. You, you, you know. have the common thread, yeah. yeah. You know, and there was that. I mean, there that 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 thing that the thing in two thousand and five down yeah. around you know Lebanon and Dupo and Milstadt and all that with the giant that that made national news, man. Really? I mean, it was seen. And now, now we're talking about these UFOs and we're going, oh, you know, well, they supposedly, but now we're at a point, you know, if we had done this same story in our first season, mm-hmm. we would have been laughing at the whole thing. But now we get the government coming out going, yeah, shit, there's UFOs. We've been seeing them for a long time. We don't know what they are. Yeah. And now we're like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, maybe nobody told us this until just recently, mm-hmm. you know, maybe uh, we're, yeah, we're shot crazy. some down. Um, and it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it makes you rethink, you know, all the things I've laughed about Roswell and all those things you're thinking, okay, right. Or whatever, you know, but then I like to mess with people and go, but you know, right after Roswell, they started inventing transistor radios. We uh-huh. didn't have that kind of technology until suddenly, you know, yeah, but I don't, you know, I just, I, it's not UFO stuff doesn't really do much for me. I just never has. I don't know why you said, so, didn't you say though, you were kind of getting more into it though? No, recently. No, no I definitely or, didn't. Or was it that. aliens that maybe you were? Talking? No, I definitely didn't say that. Oh, man, so. I thought you did. <laughs> not on the nope. podcast. I thought we were just like nope. hanging out. Nope. I don't um, think so. I guess that, um, but what, one th- that's my bad then, but one thing I do love is uh, just this line where you say, um, a part-time truck driver and full-time miniature golf course owner. Well, I mean, like, know, it's a was. great, it's a great resume. Like, I, like, <laughs> yeah, I love was. that. You know, the miniature golf thing sounds more fun than being a truck driver, but he was. So I just thought that was worthy of mention. No, okay, I mean, you know what? I was just kind of making the whole thing silly. So yeah, it's about that. UFOs and that's what I do. And I, I, sorry, I can't help myself. So, no, that's that's the whole thing, man. I just want to make people laugh. But, you know, I mean, and some of these stories, you know, they're the guys sitting on a porch in Alton. Okay, you know, they were out there smoking weed yeah. and thought they saw a UFO. You know, I mean, how do you take this seriously or not? I don't know. You know, um, is it flying saucers? Is it dirigibles run by, you know, Cuban revolutionaries? What is it? You know, I have no idea. Um, and really, I, I will sleep just fine tonight i will not stay up late wondering don't, about it don't give so, a shit just thought it was a cool story <laughs> you know? yes and i like the uh, october 2017 because you talk about langdon street which is like the charlie's house in there and yeah you see an orange light in the sky and and you bring up a uh, mufon which yeah. is a very interesting mm. organization yeah this is a totally normal i'm sure so. yes yeah yeah no, i bet they're all stable <laughs> individuals yeah uh, and of course i say that but, you know we've got 500 people showing up for our conference who believe in ghosts so yes to a lot of people that's just as crazy and i do understand that that's why i don't go around saying ufo people are crazy mm-hmm. i just go around saying it's not really something that interests me and I that's think that's all. that's very fair yeah. because I remember even like the first couple. Well, especially not crazy now because now they're yeah. apparently out there. So and, oh, and I did <laughs> want to circle back to that too, and and part of the reason, like, because I wouldn't really trust the government or care about that, but we well, have no. people that are experienced pilots and things. Yes. like this that's is, more impressive to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And is a lot of these guys are like, you know, they were on like aircraft carriers and stuff, and they were like commanders in charge of the mm-hmm. ship, and it's like, um. Okay, how do we not believe these guys? Yeah, I mean, you they probably know what you're crazy. talking about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and I and 
also to circle back again, the thing you were talking about uh, is when I've been at some of the earlier conferences and events and stuff we would do, I, you know, people would come up, kind of talk to me about this and that. And it'd be like, this person's talking about UFOs and all that. And somebody's kind of standing behind waiting to talk to me. And they would leave and the, that person would come up and be like, yeah, that's totally crazy. Let me talk to you about reptilians, though. Yeah, let me tell Yeah, let me tell you about how reptilians are controlling the earth. Yeah. See, that's the stuff. Now, see, I, I'm not going to say UFO people are crazy. But I got to be honest with you, I start to wonder about a lot of the cryptid people. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. I'm not saying that some of them can't exist. I'm not saying that there is no chance there's, you know, Bigfoot because mm -hmm. there are a lot of uncovered country out there and a lot of people who have seen a lot of things. But some of this stuff gets really crazy. It and, does. and I mean, like dangerously crazy, like medication needed trade. Crazy, mm -hmm. you know, um, but. Hey, to each his own, whatever makes people happy, I guess. Although how reptilians controlling the world would make you happy, I don't know. But, you know, who knows? I don't either. And for people who, uh, again, didn't <laughs> listen to the uh, first season, I did meet Troy when I was like seven or eight. I walked into his That's bookstore true. and my the book I bought was uh, The Field Guide to North American Monsters, which yeah. is probably not a good book for a small child to have. That's probably how you get uh, crazy. Um, oh, I, well, that could be. When you walked out, fine. when you walked out that day. Mm -hmm. I still remember that kid that walked out with that book. And I said to a friend of mine who was there visiting, well, that kid is fucked. So, oh, I no, hope, I, I hope he That's moves a away. lie. I did not. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't remember you coming in at all. So, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, you, you said, did you guys have a cat there too? Yes. Yes. There was a cat there at the bookstore. Okay. Yeah. 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 I usually end up with a cat everywhere. So. You, yeah. You do it pretty much always end up with a cat. Yeah, right? I do. I do. It's true. Uh, so. uh, okay. This uh, last one then. I think I actually texted you at one point before. So I had the new updated Haunted Alton book, hadn't gone through it yet. And I texted you about some Piasol Bird stuff. And you said, oh, you clearly haven't read yeah. the updated book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was some question. People are like, yeah, I, I'm not sure that that's uh, you're like, hey, there's something on here that says the Piasol story isn't true. And I'm like. Mm -hmm. Dude, you definitely have not looked at the book yet, have you? Yeah, so well, you put yeah. them out so fast that it's just oh, not, I do not. It's not fair. Um, so I said my first thing was like, okay, how's the story different? What's new? And you go into that. Um, and you talk about multiple people seeing the the paintings on the cliff and things. You said the but you said the monsters turned actually, how deep do you want to go into this? I don't want to give spoilers away so much. Well, but. I mean, people just listen to it. So, oh, okay. So, you yeah, did, okay. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, and just so, listen to the story. That's so, true. Sorry. I'm I don't think there are any books. spoilers left here in this story, but Got it. Um, what it pretty much says is that the whole thing is made up, mm -hmm. uh, which it is. Um, now, apparently there was something there. There definitely were, were monsters painted on the bluff. Mm -hmm. um, no one knows what the story was. All that Owatoga stuff, that's all made up. Um, the guy who did it admitted that he made it up. It was all supposed to be for fun. It was just for fun. He was just creating a fun story. It was a great newspaper. story. And it got out of control because people started presenting it as a uh, historic story rather than just a fun, you know, tall tale. Yeah. And that's where the that's where the trouble began uh, for a lot of people who started to think that it was real. Um you know, it was never it was never real, it was never meant to be real. There was no chief who killed the Paisal bird. No one knows why it was painted there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and you know, there's been a lot of argument about whether it had wings, but mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure it did because everyone described it as having wings while it was still on the bluff. 
Now I, I get a lot of shit from people who say, oh, but you're, you're saying it's a bird and it didn't have wings because that's not the drawing that we see. Well, you're not going to see the drawing that Marquette made because it was lost. Right. The only drawings you see are what someone has done later. Because the but canoe the flipped over and was that, pushed. Yeah. The drawing that was done by William McAdams, he used the memories of people who saw the actual painting. So he put wings on it. Russell described it as having wings. So did everybody else who saw it. So apparently it did have wings on it. I, I think we can kind of let that go. Now, as far as this cave goes, you know, yes. with the bones, it's a great story. I do but love that. It's hard to know whether to take it seriously because according to Russell, he was there, but we also know he made the whole thing up about the Indians. So which is it? You know, I mean, is it real? Is it not real? Because then there were other people who came along and said, oh, yeah, shit, I was in the cave, too. And it's like, OK, were they really or were they just repeating his story? Mm -hmm. We don't know. You know, I, yeah. I, I would love for there to be a cave and um, I would love to see it. But on the other hand, it's um, it's not described as anywhere near Alton. You did really? notice that from the description, right? Yeah. It's like the the bluffs below the mouth of the Illinois River. OK, that's Grafton. Right. That's where the cave apparently was, whatever cave somebody took him to, if there really was a cave. Like, mm -hmm. Who knows? You know, but then when you got guys who say they were there, I, I don't mm -hmm. know what to know. What to say about that? Yeah, so. I mean, I know that there were definitely there definitely has to be people that explored probably damn near every inch of you know the river road where there wasn't know, so much there's to a do. lot of there's a lot of open ground out there. I mean a I lot of places you, it's really hard to get to. Yeah, but, I mean, maybe not and if a anybody's lot, but, even yeah. looked for it in Grafton, yeah, north of Grafton, really. So yeah. do I mean, you think it would have been blown away river. by now? I don't know. It could be, it could be gone. It could be, it could have, the bluff could have caved in. It could have just, you know, could be grown over where you couldn't find the entrance or, mm. you know, maybe it didn't really exist. exist. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't, I mean, there are certain things I can tell you about this story um, that there were paintings. Um, they, it did have wings uh, it wasn't called the Piazza bird because the, he just used the name of the creek mm -hmm. to give the monster a name. That's a completely different kind of monster that lived in the water mm -hmm. that the Illinois called the monster. And it doesn't translate to the bird that devours men. That's such a great I can tell name. you these things all for sure. Um, I can tell you that um, this guy made up the legend. Uh, he printed it in a lot of different places and claimed that he saw a cave that other people's claim they saw too those are things i can tell you that i know about this story mm -hmm. beyond that i don't know i don't know if the indians the you know the native americans who were here painted something that they saw or just painted something that was a symbolic creature which is more likely yeah but you never know you know you never know uh because as we talk about later on in the story there have been some very large birds seen around mm -hmm. Alton. So it's hard to say. So. Yes. I was, when I was actually making the outline for this, I was hanging out with a friend and um, I, they didn't like know, they knew what I was doing, but they didn't know anything about the story. And all of a sudden out loud, I just said, I feel like if you get picked up and taken away by a bird, <laughs> that's kind of like Darwinism. And it's just like, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I kind of, yeah. I kind of, I kind of wonder about that too. Yeah, I mean, you know, these guys have said that they saw the bird. I mean, these were kind of like our, you know, we were talking about our pilots who saw mm -hmm. UFOs. I mean, one of these, a couple of these guys were military guys. 
you know, and they're like, yeah, we've seen like fighter planes and things. So they thought it was big enough to be a plane. Now, the rest of these people, I don't know. I mean, they, they could have been anything. And they, you know, they saw a bird and shit, that looks huge. And then as more people talked about it, more people, every it's giant, bigger, every bigger. large bird they saw suddenly grew by 10 times. Who knows? Yeah. May, for all we know, it was seen one time. And mm -hmm. it was by the military guys. And then everybody else saw something. We don't know. Yeah. You know, we don't know, but it's interesting. And if you have the balls to come forward, call the police or report it to the newspaper, then you probably saw something. Now, was it as big as, as they claimed? We don't know, you know, but that's one of the things I say, you know, yeah, here were big birds, but was it Piazol bird big? I mean, because it really carries somebody off. Well, <laughs> some people say so. I mean, that farmer said that it was a monster eagle. That's what he described it as. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it picked up his three-year-old son. Okay, that's that's not, that's big, but that's not undoable. Right, I mean, right. You know, what, what's a three-year-old weigh, man? I don't know. 15 pounds, 20 pounds? Nah, it got to be more than that. I don't have many three-year-old friends. 30 pounds. Yeah. Okay, but wouldn't that be the same size as like a, a small animal? Yeah, like yeah, a or... small animal or a, a small pig or something. You know, birds carry that kind of stuff away. So that's not completely undoable. But that kid in... The kid in Lawndale, though, I man, that's a weird story. It is got to story. admit. I mean, that's a weird story, and and that was just sort of the beginning of that 1977 thing. I mean, I think you know, and I think I've told you before, and we've talked about it. But you know, I collected like a whole summer's worth of newspaper articles of people who saw these giant birds mm -hmm. um, all over the place, and and I do. A, there's one presentation that I do, uh, American Monsters, which mm -hmm. is. Well, from what you've heard me say already, you can imagine it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek presentation. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of fun with it, um, yeah. but that's something that I followed that you know was interesting to me when I was like 11 years old. Mm -hmm. Miss the same summer Star Wars came out, so I was oh, into whatever, right? And so I was following these stories as a kid. I'm like, what the hell? This is crazy. I remember seeing some of that, the footage on the news of a guy who claimed he was at Lake Shelbyville and filmed um the birds and then they flew off out of a tree and i thought well those are big but i don't know you know but it was on the news but according to this kid and his family it really did pick him up and carry him away hmm. and i mean this was not a this was not a three-year-old this was like a 10-year-old yeah and so you're talking a decent sized kid there so that's a big bird if it you know if it happened and and i don't know there's no reason to believe that it didn't i mean but I, I will tell you, the kid is still around and he will not talk about it, refuses mm. to talk about it to this day, will not do interviews, will not answer questions, nothing. Yeah, uh, he will not talk about it. Yeah. But I mean, it, it so freaked him out, um, I guess, it, like and uh, from everything I've heard, uh, his hair turned white Oh, because of it. Like it was so terrifying. So, I mean, it makes me think that there was something to the story. Yeah, but. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, isolated thing. Sure. Maybe, you know, maybe it was just an isolated series of incidents that summer it has nothing to do with the Piazol bird, but you know, it's still fun. Still, you know, if it's possible, it's possible. Right. Did you, that, that brings something up. You, it reminds me, did, did you ever get to the bottom of that um, magazine with the picture? No, the, no, no, no. You never, no, we'll never get out. to the bottom of that. I think that's one of those things that, um, I'm so sure that I've seen it probably because I've read about it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. As a kid, Cause it was one of those stories that just fascinated me. 
mm-hmm. because I, I, I like Arizona. I love Tombstone. And I think that all of that sort of combined in my head to be so interesting with the Cowboys and everything. And I, I know I read that story as a kid because it was probably in one of those, you know, unsolved mystery books that mm-hmm. I got, you know, yeah. when I was in grade school and I just got hooked on that story. And then back in the nineties, there was a guy I knew, uh, Mark Trovinsky did a magazine called strange. Um, he died really young and the magazine kind of came to an end after like maybe 20 issues or something, but it became like an ongoing thing in the magazine where all the, now this is pre-internet, right? Mm-hmm. And so all of the readers were searching for these, this picture mm-hmm. because so many people like me that, you know, love oddity and weird things um, were, were convinced they'd seen it. Now, I think we've, you know, uh, the, what are they Mandela called? Mandela effect. effect. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we all have imagined that we saw it. Yeah. And I think people are firmly convinced they saw it. And I I could swear that I had, but yeah. I probably just saw something like it and read about it so much that I became convinced I saw it. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I'll tell you, I, I did search. I mean, I searched really hard. I remember you saying um, you did. Yeah. yeah. When I used to, I used to have that. Yeah. I think I was telling you that story mm-hmm. that when I used to have that big, that old used bookstore with boxes and boxes of those old men's magazines, which are fucking phenomenal. I, sh- I wish I would have known a chance and grabbed to a bunch, yeah. look through some of those things. If you ever run across any like true or saga or Argosy, they are insane. I mean, mm. they are the most misogynistic bizarre you know stories in them but it just for the just for to capture the time period of that 50s 60s yeah you know manly men thing i know that's we've talked about that yeah but um i searched through tons of them looking for anything because there were lots of stories about bigfoot and stuff because that's a time period where that stuff was getting really hot again and really interesting to people and um I searched all over trying to find anything about the birds and could never find anything. So, Damn. I mean, I'm not saying that I searched every single magazine, but boy, I searched through a lot. So, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it was Damn. something. Um, oh, I, one last thing I wanted to bring up and then we can wrap it up is um, if anyone has, uh, I know I, I've Googled a little bit, but it's been a little while, but if anybody has uh, pictures of, older piasaw bird paintings you, yeah. i would love if people would send them in because i know it's been in different places yeah um, yeah like i would love I, to see stuff especially if it's I've, not on the internet I, I found a few um i posted a few uh or and i put a couple in uh in the new edition of the book but um yeah there there are some out there though i i do see them floating around um yeah. there's a page that i think both of us follow on facebook about alton history oh yeah and i occasionally see them on there so, but yeah, they are always cool to see. Yeah, and yeah, you know, it it mostly stays mostly the same. Uh, it just moves to all different places. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. I, I'd just be interested <laughs> too to see it in the different places that I haven't seen yet, and um, and I know that it's been some places I think that are were gone before I was born even. Oh or, yeah. Um, but yeah, and also that that like page that Troy's talking about. If you like the stuff we're talking about, get on Facebook, search for like Alton history, blah blah. blah. There's some really mm-hmm. cool pages. Yeah, um, that you can check things. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They really do so uh that's that's all that's all i want to talk okay. about did we yeah. miss anything or is there anything no, else you want to kind of so. touch no, on i think so i think we can i think we can wrap this up so all right should i just go right into it then like instead yeah. of you all right well then the, yeah this episode of the american hogs podcast it was written by troy taylor and produced and edited by me cody beck i don't know how i'm gonna do it yet but hey, do you hear a train or something do you hear that i thought i heard you like phone or something it's no it's not is there a I, train by you <laughs> 
I don't know. No, I mean, not right by here, but I swear I hear something. Maybe I've it's heard, just my headphones. I've heard something sorry, like twice. Sorry, kind sorry, of like keep reading. Off. I shouldn't. I was actually going to not interrupt you in this one. So yeah, how anyway. many times? Yeah, if I didn't. I know, time. but I really was. But anyway, yep, yeah, that, yeah, that, that ship has sailed. But a dime, I retire. Um, uh, yeah, we hope you've enjoyed uh, this Return to Alton podcast and will be with us as we present 10 episodes. Is it really just going to be 10? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. I've already got them planned out. I know that, but that's never stopped I know. you from. I know. No, it hasn't. But it, it is that that is the plan. Got it. The Unless ep- something happens and we do an extra. So. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I think that's it. So. Ten episodes of the history, hauntings, legends and lore from one of our most haunted small towns in America. So thanks for listening because we couldn't and definitely wouldn't do it without you. Also, I'm going to add in like, let us know what you think about this. Is it fun? Yeah. Are you happy to yeah. see it? Or are you yeah. If like, you're not, we'll finish it anyway and yeah. you don't have to listen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, so, we're, we're committed now. So, yeah, but look, now you have now you have free episodes every single week and you can get d- yeah. crazier, different stories if you go to the Patreon, sign up for that stuff. Exactly. So, yeah, but so, OK, until next time. Goodbye. So long. See you later. All right. Cool. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. I would have. Uh, I was thinking, should I?